0: In your Bibles, you can turn to the book of First John. As we broke into chapter three last week in First John, so that was progress. That's good. Uh, I just want to thank everyone for being here tonight and coming to join us in, in singing and uh, and hearing the word of God, and sharing together in, in fellowship there. And for those that are at home watching online, we. Are glad that we can provide that as well for you. Uh, we encourage people to keep uh, uh coming and joining us here on Wednesday nights. If you're at home and you're able to come on Wednesday nights, we'd love to have your physical presence here. Uh, it would it would make the singing that much better. To, uh, the more people we add, the singing gets even better. So glad to be here tonight. Like I said, last week we got into chapter three, the first three verses of chapter three, and John's emphasis on the love of God manifested in sinners being called children of God. John called on believers to see or behold this love that God gave. And he was emphasizing that we should pay close attention to this love that God gave. We talked about the need to have uh, to, to not only remember that fact but to continually relate it to what to. Uh, what we were to our state prior to salvation. Okay, not that we dwell on our sin, but that we would think about the condemnation that we deserved making the grace and mercy we received all the sweeter. Okay, like like Matt was talking about, sometimes we, we forget things. We, we forget things like that. And so to, to think about where we came from and where God has brought us through Christ um, is a good reminder. If we're not careful, Thoughtful to remember, we can become complacent. We can begin to forget how, how high the cost of redemption uh, that Christ paid. And this almost always leads to thinking sin is not as bad as it is. It's very easy to fall, fall into that. So we need to remember where we came from, where God has brought us. Not only that, but we saw how John said that even now, we are not what we will be when Christ returns. we look forward to the return of our savior for we will be like him because we shall see him as he is and that that is hopeful that is something for believers to be hopeful about we sang about hope tonight already Uh, last week was full of hope the message last week now this week's getting a little uh i I will tell you it still has hope for believers but there's some difficult stuff here to, to hear tonight and that's by design we need we need to hear these things people need to hear these things But for the believer, remember, we always have hope in our Savior. Okay, We shall see him like he is. We talked about that. Not that we would be gods, of course. We will be like him in our glorified bodies. Bodies no longer susceptible to um, corruption, to sin. We'll be like him in our sinless eternity with him. Um, That will be an amazing thing. And When we behold these truths, when we have this kind of hope, John said, Last week, we purify ourselves as he is pure. Okay, meaning that this, this hope in the salvation given by God causes us to live righteously, empowered by the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit-empowered living is the product of the new birth in Christ. And those first three verses that we looked at last week also began another section of John's ongoing clarification of who is saved and who is not. And as we get into tonight's text, we'll see some pretty clear lines um, being drawn by John. And perhaps you've heard people ask these questions, or maybe you've asked uh, yourself these questions. Can I know that I'm saved? Is everyone who professes faith in Christ saved? Is it possible to tell if someone's saved or not? Should I even be thinking someone might not be saved? I think those those are questions that we have. And I think the answer to all but one of those questions is yes. Which one is no? Which one is the answer is no? Well, it's the second one. Is everyone who professes faith in Christ saved? No, not everyone who professes faith in Christ is saved. It's a very sad reality, but it's a reality nonetheless. It's something we need to be aware of. So a question, why do we need to know that not everyone who says they are saved is saved? Why is that important for us to know? It's a question open for anyone to answer. Okay, so that we'll be sober-minded introspectively, right? Examine our own lives, okay, what else? Absolutely, okay so that we're not deceived personally, like what you're talking about, and so that when we find out that others are deceived, we can help them with the truth. We can help them to not be deceived. Yeah, and another reason that I was thinking about was that that the church of God would remain pure. This is something that is important for us to know, that the church would remain pure and not um, tolerate the acceptance of sin. In this entire section, the first three verses from last week and the next six verses that we'll cover tonight, I know that's ambitious, but I think we can do it. Uh, these are really about who's a Christian, who is not a Christian. Okay, do we need to know this? Yes. Simply by the fact that John makes this point over and over again, um, answers that question, yes, we need to know. And if you're professing, if you are a professing believer but are, but are truly not saved... Is there anything more important in life than being informed of that fact? If you have been deceived into thinking you're saved and you're not, could there possibly be anything more important than finding out that, that that's your state? No, there can't be. Okay, we, we, we need to find this out individually, like you're talking about. We need to find out who might be deceived so that we can help them. Now, they may not listen, but these are some texts that we can use to, to help them tonight. We need to know, uh, and by God's grace, he has given us the criteria. Okay, that's what John has written this letter for in this next section in particular. He's given us criteria to know um, if we are saved or not, or if someone else is saved or not. Let's, let's look at our text for tonight, First John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this night. We thank you for the songs that we, we sang. Uh, Father, the fact that we can come here to praise you in that way, that we can also praise you in the reading, the hearing of your word. And we ask, Father, that you would teach us uh, your truth through your word, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, God, that you would bring us to understand the scriptures more and more that our knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, would continually grow. And Father, we thank you for the privilege of being here, and we thank you for uh, the ability to be here. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Okay, so we can see a clear transition here. Okay, John just finished saying, in the verses we looked at last week, that we are children of God now. Okay, we, We shall be like him when he appears. We have hope, and that hope in Christ purifies us as he is pure, but now we transition. Okay, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Okay, we talked about this before, but it's worth mentioning again the idea of the practice of sinning. And John's use of the word lawlessness here are, are both important. Why? Because John is talking about those who are unbelievers, Beloved, we are children of God now. He's writing to Christians there. But these who make a practice of sinning are practicing lawlessness. There's a a distinction. And in this passage, the word practice uh, is a key word. And we should recognize here that John is absolutely identifying the unregenerate person by using the word practice here. Everyone who has not been born again is Practicing sin or lawlessness. And the word practice indicates an ongoing habitual pattern of life. Okay? A life, no matter how cleaned up on the outside, that is only producing evil from within. That's that's all they can do. Okay, that's the state of everyone, really. Everyone is in that state before faith in Christ. Okay, but, that, but what John is talking about here is unbelievers, he's identifying unbelievers. And this is what Paul wrote about to the Roman church when he described how much ability the unregenerate people have to do good, right? In in Romans 8, 7, he said, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Okay? Now, Now, thinking about that verse there, how does that verse help us instruct people who say they follow God's law but have not been born again? How does that verse help us to instruct them? We read the verse again. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Absolutely, think of worldly things, not about God, but how can we help the person who thinks they can, who thinks they are, obeying God, but they're not a believer. Well, we can instruct them from the scriptures, right? It's If we're having that discussion with them, we can tell them the scripture says you're not, and in fact, you cannot. If you are not a child of God, you cannot produce good works. Okay, that's, so, I mean, I'm not saying you just come right out and, and have a giant argument with them. No, you're not, you know. Take them to the scriptures. Show them the word of God. They say they, they abide uh, by the word of God. Take them to the word of God and show them these things. Okay? They, they cannot. It's like flipping the light switch up and down when the power's out. right? No matter how many times you flip that switch, the lights are not coming on. Okay? There will never be light. You need the power company to restore power before you'll have any light, before that switch will do anything. But if you're like me, the power goes out, you try it, and then you, one second later you forget, and you go into the next room and try it again. Ah! You keep forgetting every time you go into a different room. But, but to, to sit there and flip it on and off and on and off, when the power is not there, it's, it's no use. You're not doing anything. Okay, so the one who makes a practice of sinning, and keep in mind what we talked about when, in, with this idea of practice. Okay, it's, it's their way of life. The one who makes a practice of sinning cannot be made alive. The practice of sinning is their way of life. It is a habitual pattern that they are a slave to. They have no power to do good. They have no power to obey God. But what about the Christian who sins, right? That, that's the distinction John is making here. Christians who occasionally stumble in sin are not making a practice of sinning. Okay, there is a difference. We have to understand that difference. Uh, it's not an excuse for sin. Okay? The sin of, of a Christian is still sin, still lawlessness, but it's followed by confession, repentance, restoration. Okay, there's a godly sorrow that comes about in a believer when that believer sins. We don't want to sin anymore. We have new affections. We love the things God loves now, which we didn't prior to salvation. Okay? It's something that was not present in, uh, in a person's life prior to the new birth, okay? This repentance and godly sorrow, that wasn't there prior to new birth. Something initiated and now empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit. All of us as believers, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit that teaches us the word of God, and we understand when we sin how terrible that is. We want to come in repentance um, and restoration because of the forgiveness of our sins through Christ. Right? That's the point of the next verse, verse 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Right? The, the unregenerate person still needs that sin and lawlessness taken away, and until then they are stuck in the practice of sinning. The sin and lawlessness of uh, the believer have now been taken away because that is why Jesus came, and that is what Jesus accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection. Paul makes the connection between sin and lawlessness clear in Titus 2.14 when he speaks of Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. In Hebrews 10.17, the Lord says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Amen for that, right? God has taken away our sins through Christ. Why did Jesus come, John says? To take away sins. Not only that, in him, Jesus, there is no sin. Okay? If this is what Jesus came for and what Jesus has done for those who have believed and been given the right to be called children of God, as we saw last week, then there's no way a Christian can or would want to continue in a pattern of habitual ongoing sin. The, the Christian is in Christ according to our passage, and in Christ there is no sin. The Christian is not sinless as we all know, okay because we still carry around our, our unredeemed flesh. okay waiting, again, like we said earlier, waiting for our Savior to return to to transform our low body lowly bodies to be like his glorious body okay but for now we're here but we don't and cannot make a practice of sinning cannot that is an important word there how can we be sure that the christian cannot make a practice of sinning we can be sure because that is what the word of god says look at the next verse verse six no one who abides in him keeps on sinning no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him okay another verse with a with a dis- distinction here there are two truths in this verse two descriptions of the only two kinds of people in the world christians and non-christians there are no other people only god's people and everyone else the first part of the verse describes Christians for us, and has, uh, and it answers that question that I asked uh, of how we can be sure. He says, no one who abides in him, those are Christians. Abiding in Christ, he's talking about Christians here. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, or, to use the words he used earlier, practices sinning. Okay, it's not, no one who's in Christ does that. In other words, no Christian can make a practice of sinning as a habitual, ongoing, unrepentant pattern. It says right there, if you are in Christ, you will not keep on or make a practice of sinning. We need to differentiate between the person who merely makes a profession of faith and the person who does so with true repentance. If a person professes faith in Christ and finds that they are making a practice of sinning as a way of life without true repentance, they are not a Christian. How do we know that? Look at the second person described. The second part of the verse describes the unbeliever as the one who does keep on sinning or making a practice of sinning. John says that person has never seen Christ. That person has never known Christ. In other words, they were never a Christian. They didn't become a Christian and then lose their salvation. They never were. They never were born again. Okay, that's, that's important for us to understand. What do Christians do? What, do? what do non-Christians do? Christians stop the practice of sinning, and non-Christians keep the practice of sinning going. Paul describes this pattern in, in terms of slavery. Okay, we see this in Scripture. He talks about it in terms of slavery to, to one thing or the other. And turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. and we'll look <clears throat> at verses 19 through 23 I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawless lawlessness leading to more lawlessness so now present your members as slaves to righteousness Or the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, slaves of lawlessness are slaves of righteousness. So for the Christian, we see what used to be true okay, of our slavery to sin. Now, by God's grace, we are made slaves of righteousness. And the unbeliever is still under slavery to sin. Why is John writing all of this? Why do we, as Christians, not only need to examine ourselves, but be able to recognize the false convert? It goes back to the question I asked at the beginning. right? Why why do we need to know that not everyone who says they're saved is saved? Well, because of deception. We need to know this because of deception, so that we are not deceived, and so that we can help those who are deceived, so that the church can remain pure. John wants his readers to avoid being deceived. That's us. We need to avoid being deceived into thinking a person can, can continue in a practice of sin and be saved. Okay? He does not want us to be deceived about that. And this leaves people, the practice of ongoing sin leaves people on a wide path to destruction and to hell, does it not? It pollutes the truth And pollutes the church as more and more congregations begin to fall to this particular deception that sin is not all that bad they will find themselves constantly in opposition to the Word of God and then what they they have to explain away the truth and exchange it for the lies of the devil that's how it works right when we find ourselves our beliefs in opposition to the word of God, Brandon's been talking about this on Sunday mornings, right? When we open our Bibles and we read that and we, uh, we question it, we say, yeah, that's not really true for now. You know, he, he's been saying that we're, we're drunk, we have beer goggles on. It's the same, same kind of idea. There's, there's deception there. And that's where Satan wants believers to be. That's where Satan wants to keep unbelievers in deception. He's okay, perfectly okay with an unbeliever thinking they're saved. He's got them, right? We don't want to be deceived, and we don't want to see other people deceived. Look at what John says about this deception in verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. What does that mean? Well, just what we've been talking about. This is a Christian. If a person is truly practicing righteousness, they are righteous as Christ is righteous, period. That's what the Scripture says. John's point is that this is the only explanation. The only way a person can be righteous is if they are indeed in Christ. Look at verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. What does this mean? Just what we've been talking about. This is an unbeliever. Okay, if a person is habitually practicing sin, not in repentance, they are of the devil. No clearer way to say a person is unsaved than to say they're of the devil. Right? They, they cannot do anything but be a slave to their master. John's point is that this is the only explanation. If a person is not practicing righteousness, they are not of Christ, but of the devil. So, what are some of the outcomes? When Christians are deceived regarding these verses, what are some of the outcomes? When we are deceived, or John is telling us not to be deceived, what results from that? Make excuses for the word, okay? We see that all the time. Yeah. What else? It's that okay? A, a lack of fruit in their lives, okay? Definitely, that's that's an outcome of uh, being deceived. A person who thinks they're a believer and they're not, there is a definite lack of godly fruit in their lives for sure. Okay. The other another result is that we begin to accept sin as okay, right? Slowly, sin is becomes not as bad as it really is. It it's And the natural flow of it, right? When we, like you were saying, when we make excuses for the scriptures, we excuse it away. It's because we want to sin in that particular way. And the Bible prohibits it. So we have to explain it away. It doesn't really mean that. (laughs) What was Satan's very first temptation? Yeah. Did God really say that? Yeah. That's the same thing, and it, it, that lie has been going on forever and ever and ever. Every time we excuse away the Scriptures and we say it doesn't say what it does, we're saying that very same thing. It's Satan's lie. Did God really say, and we're looking at that and we're going, did he really say that that behavior is bad? Yeah, he did. Okay, It's not a popular thing right, for us to, to stick with the Scriptures, but that is what God said. So, the result is we begin to accept sin as okay, okay and, the, and the works of the flesh the sin it, it just doesn't seem as bad as it really is or maybe even as bad as it used to be okay what are some of the works of the flesh galatians 5 19 through 21 now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery enmity strife jealousy fits of anger rivalries dissensions divisions envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you think you've seen any of these things viewed or taught to be acceptable in the eyes of professing Christians? Yeah, I think increasingly we see these things becoming more and more acceptable. And what is the problem with not only allowing You know, you can think right now about the friends in your life who are professing Christians. Um, What's the problem with not only allowing professing Christians to continue in these things, but saying it's okay? Paul says there's a big problem in Romans 1. After after giving another large list, I mean, we just went through a large list in Galatians, um, also from Paul, but after giving another large list of evil practices, homosexuality, all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, being full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slander, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Paul then goes on to describe unbelievers as foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. And then he says this, Romans 1, 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. Okay, you say they're okay, and you're also uh, or will be doing them yourself. And that's the, the progression of it. John says, little children, don't be deceived. Okay, and Paul goes on in the first two verses of, of chapter 2, right after that list I just gave you, um, he goes on to make it clear that those who approve are condemned because they're doing the same things. Romans 2, verses 1 and 2. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Don't be deceived. And Lon, John Laid down a fresh rhyme and said that the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Right? You didn't know John was a rapper, did you? Right? <laughs> That's to say, from the beginning of his rebellion against God, when God cast Satan and all the angels that joined him out of heaven, Jesus said uh, um, in the scriptures that he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Why did Satan fall like lightning? because he wanted to exalt himself to the throne of God. He, this picture of lightning depicts the force and the quickness with which God cast him, hurled him out of heaven. There's no drawn out trial or anything like that. This, this utter blasphemy of Satan was caused for immediate expulsion and Jesus described it as being like lightning. That's how fast God got rid of him. Ezekiel 28:15 says uh, in, in these words there uh, about this event you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you then isaiah speaks further on this subject in isaiah 14:13 and 14 you said in your heart i will ascend to heaven above the stars of god i will set my throne on high i will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north i will ascend above the heights of the clouds I will make myself like the Most High. And God cast him out like lightning. Okay, he was cast out from heaven. And Satan went about to deceive Adam and Eve, and that is what he does. That is what he's been doing ever since, right? He goes about, his work is to lie, to deceive, to corrupt, and to accuse. That's what Satan does. So John says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Okay, Jesus came to destroy that, to to overturn that. Uh, And this is, it's not news to Christians, right? That's not news to us. We know why Christ came, but John repeats it anyway. As we see here at the end of our passage, John is, he's fond of repeating statements of fact over and over again. We've already heard in these verses things we've already heard when we started this, this letter. Okay, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. this gets back to the question we were talking about earlier. Okay, no born-again believer can keep on sinning. Very clear. Why? According to that verse, why? Okay, because God's seed abides in him right? So we have a very clear statement, right? No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, and we have the reason why right there next to it. For God's seed abides in him. Because God's seed abides in him, and he is is now born of God. Notice again the absolute statement of fact about those who are born again. They cannot keep on sinning. Okay, so don't mix that up with, yeah, but I was just mean to somebody earlier today i sinned that's not the same as a life practice of sinning a habitual ongoing pattern of unrepentant sin when you sinned against that person you feel bad about it you want to repent of that you don't want to be like that you want to get rid of that okay the the unregenerate person doesn't have that they don't have that prompting they don't have that conviction in their life but the believer does okay so what is the, the seed? It's, it's the abiding Word of God. That seed abides as the result of the working of the Holy Spirit. The new birth comes about by the Word of God through the Spirit of God. Turn with me to 1 Peter, if you would. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verses 23 through 25. 1 Peter chapter 1:23 through 25 Since you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass the grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Okay? Not perishable, but imperishable seed. Perishable seed is the the seed of man. That that people born of the flesh have that seed that dies, right? But those born of the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, they have a seed that is imperishable. It lasts forever. Again, this is about the new birth unto eternal life. This is talking about believers. Believers. So there's there's absolute encouragement here for us as believers. John also wrote of the new birth in his gospel that Christians are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay, He's talking about the new birth. That was in John 1.13. Then finally, we close this section of the text with John's summation of all that he's been talking about and repeating. Okay, He, He likes to repeat again. He emphasized the same thing several times in different ways. It is almost like he really wants people to get this. Right? He really wants us to understand this. If you or someone you're talking to says, we cannot know these things, John is going to say it one more time. Verse 10. Back in our first John passage. Verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil whoever does not practice righteousness is not of god nor is the one who does not love his brother okay in other words here's the evidence you've been looking for here's how you can know who's a christian and who is not the question is do you believe it okay do we believe this to be true are we willing to like you were talking about are we willing to examine our own life by this standard are we willing to admit that there are people in our lives who Profess to be Christians that by this standard have proven not to be. And what do we do about that? If a person does not practice righteousness, he is not a Christian. Period. Again, practice. Okay? This is their ongoing, the Christian's ongoing pattern of life is to obey the Word of God, is to follow the Word of God, believe the Word of God. Not in perfection because we're not perfect. Okay, but we, we desire it. That is, we are a slave to that. We are no longer a slave to lawlessness. And John repeats his other standard for proof that we looked at a few weeks ago. He says, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Remember, we talked about that. That without the love of, of, of the brethren, that's proof that you're not a believer. Again, there are only two groups, the children of God and the children of the devil. There's no other there's no in between place. Right? There's no almost Christians. I mean sometimes we say things like oh, they're really close. Right? We've shared the gospel, they're asking questions. We can say they're really close. And that's that's fine. But they're not there yet. Right? They're not almost doesn't cut it. So we keep working on it. We keep sharing with them. We keep being patient with them. But this is a serious thing, right? Who's who? There's two groups. Who's who? Can we know? Verse ten. I mean, other verses for sure, but verse ten says we absolutely can. John says, "Little children, don't be deceived." I would also say, Christians, to Christians, don't be discouraged. Okay. We last week it was all about hope. It was all about our our salvation, um, the privilege of being called children of God, uh, because of His love for us. And these some of these things can be discouraging as we examine our lives as we think about those in our lives who profess to be believers and we realize maybe they're not, right? But don't be discouraged. Examine your life. Compare it to Scripture. See where you're at. But believe the Word of God. Trust in His promises. Let's agree with Paul and what he wrote in Romans 15:13. He said, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Right? That's where we are as Christians. We, we lean on that hope. The hope we have in Christ. And, and we are reminded of it by reading the scriptures. By our fellowship with other believers. And the encouragement we get from them. Okay? Alright. That's all we have for tonight. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you again for tonight, Lord. We thank you that though these are, are difficult things, Lord, it is clearly necessary for us to hear it For us to know it, you have written it in your book. You want us to know what a Christian looks like. You want us to know what a non-Christian looks like. I pray, Lord, that we would not take these words and go out and be hypocritically judgmental against people. But, Father, that we would have a genuine care and concern for friends and family who profess to be believers but by the fruit, Lord, we see that they're not, Or by the lack of fruit. And Father, we pray you give us compassion and patience and kindness as we share the gospel. And Lord, that we would always remember where we were. We were once there, Father, in practicing sin and lawlessness. But by your grace and your mercy, you have brought us out of that darkness and into your marvelous light. We are so grateful, Lord, that you have chosen to save sinful people through faith, repentance and faith in your son, his work on the cross. We are so grateful, Father. May we continually dwell upon that and we thank you for the hope that it brings in our lives. We are so grateful. Father, we want to lift up in prayer tonight Roger Johnson um, as he's battling with, with COVID and Uh, We thank you, Father. We heard a good report this morning that he's responding well to treatments. We ask, Father, that you would, um, in your mercy, Lord, that you would spare his life, you would spare uh, his church and his family of having great sorrow, Lord, at, at, um, at his loss. So we ask, Father, that you would heal him. We also trust, Father, that you are sovereign. We ask for your perfect will to be done. We ask for comfort. mercy for the family. We thank you that we can join with them in prayer, Lord, that we can mourn with those who mourn. And we are so grateful for your promises, Father, that you never lie. And even though our life is but a mist, Father, we have an eternity to spend with you because of the work of Christ and your gift of salvation through repentance and faith. We thank you in his name. Amen.